This is episode 37 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Sleeping in the Wilderness, Space Blankets versus Sleeping Bag. It can happen just like that, real world survival story, and what qualifies as a Teotihuacan event. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Let's go ahead and get started. Our first article comes to us from PrepperSwill.com, and the name of the article is Sleeping in the Wilderness, Space Blanket versus Sleeping Bag. All right, so let's go ahead and get into this one. When equipping a bug-out bag with necessary items for an overnight experience in the wild, things can get tricky. Many people will pick between a sleeping bag and a space blanket without actually comparing the two. To make things easier and help them decide, I've added my pros and cons based on my personal experience. Some have either a sleeping bag or a Mylar space blanket in their various emergency kits. It doesn't really matter the purpose of the kit, to be honest. What matters is to decide if you made the right choice based on the condition which will force you to use those items. I've used both my sleeping bag and my space blanket in the wilderness with various occasions. From sleeping in my car to sleeping on the ground or in a tent, they all proved to be quite efficient at keeping me warm. Here are my pros and cons for each of them. A space blanket is actually warm. Despite being considered a glorified tinfoil by many, a space blanket actually works at maintaining your body heat. If you wrap it tight against your body, it will radiate back the heat your body is losing. It's the most portable of the two. The lightweight and the portability of the space blanket make it ideal for a small survival kit. After all, it's about the size of a deck of cards when wrapped. After you use it once, you can fold it back into the initial shape and that's it. The space blanket will be ready for use when you need it again. It has good reflective properties. Besides reflecting heat, a space blanket will also reflect light. This makes it ideal for signaling for help, but also to disperse light inside a tent if, your space is pro- if you space it properly. If you use a phone with a dimly lit touchscreen, you will have no problem handling it under a Mylar blanket. Multiple uses. Compared to a sleeping bag, a space blanket has more than one use. It may not look like much, but this thin piece of Mylar film can prove useful in an emergency situation and, may, and it may even save your life one day. You can use it for gathering water, cooking purposes, as cordage, and even as fish bait. Space Blanket Cons Doesn't provide much comfort. You need a certain degree of comfort to improve your morale during a survival scenario. The problem with the Space Blanket is that, other than warmth, you won't get much comfort from it. Not compared to a sleeping bag, and that's why you will also need a pillow in conjunction with your Mylar Blanket. Coverage gaps. Wrapping yourself in a space blanket to cover all the gaps can be quite a challenge. You will need to use tape if you want to prevent heat escaping. No matter how well you try, there will always be gaps you can't cover. Successible to puncturing. Now, this may depend on the brand you are using, but sooner or later your space blanket will get a couple of punctures. However, the design and the resistance of the blanket will prevent those puncturing puncturing from turning into larger tears. Ripping a space blanket apart is quite difficult. Breathability may become a problem. If you are not wearing the proper clothing, you will sweat a lot during the night. The mylar material isn't breathable and you may suffocate if you tuck your head under the blanket. This characteristic doesn't make it ideal uh, for cold environments. Sorry. Sleeping bags. 
Provides warmth like nothing else. Nowadays, there are certain sleeping bags designed for extreme cold environments. I have no problem sleeping in my sleeping bag during a 30-degree night. Comfortable? Having a sleeping bag with a soft flannel lining provides you with incredible comfort compared to the space blanket. Even the stuffing padded in is ideal for resting your head and sleep comes easy when you're using a sleeping bag. No coverage gaps to deal with. Unlike the space blanket, my sleeping bag doesn't have coverage gaps. I slide in, zip it up, and warm myself in a couple of minutes. A good sleeping bag will contour the shape of your body type and you will have no problem staying warm. Breathability is no issue here. You don't risk suffocating with a proper sleeping bag and I've seen people crawling at the bottom of their sleeping bag during cold nights. This makes them ideal as sleeping gear for extreme cold environments. A good sleeping bag is often bulky. The padding, which is the best feature of the sleeping bag, is also its weakness. Some sleeping bags take up a lot of space. This means you will have problems making everything fit in your bug out bag. Not to mention that if there are more than one people sleeping in the same tent, the sleeping bags will take up a lot of room. Portability can become a challenge. As I said above, carrying a sleeping bag takes a lot of space inside a survival bag. Storing a sleeping bag in the trunk is no problem, but if you have a family of four or more, you will have little room for anything else. People often choose the space blankets for the portability advantage. The solution here would be to go with a queen-size sleeping bag designed for two people. Compared to the space blanket, a sleeping bag can't double as a reflective signal. Although there are some sleeping bags with reflective patches, there are no match compared to the reflective properties of a Mylar blanket. Limited use. A sleeping bag will serve the purpose it was built to serve, keeping you warm and provide comfort throughout the night. You can't use it for other tasks like you would use a space blanket, and if you try, you will ruin it. My recommendation. Although the choice may seem obvious for most people, and going with the sleeping bag seems the right thing to do, I have another recommendation. Why not go with both and combine the two? You can wrap the space blanket over the sleeping bag and you would be able to sleep even in the harshest of environments. Not to mention adding a space blanket in your bag doesn't take up much space and you will benefit from its multiple uses. In the real world, it would be smart to go with both and you will benefit from both comfort and versatility. You can even line a tent wall with a space blanket or two to keep in warmth. Following this, this same logic, you can put them on the outside during the summer to reflect heat. However you, however you use them, both will prove useful when things are at their worst. Again, I think the, the most important thing when you're talking about making a kit is that you are making it to... I mean, you should never, ever, ever read an article and then decide upon that article or get a list of, you know, hey, th this is my, my ultimate bug out bag list. And it's just ideas. You should never take that and then replicate that and use that for yourself. You really need to... Uh, set up your kit, whatever kind of kit you are setting up according to your needs. So if you are, for instance, one of the things that um, that uh, I always talk about is I work very close to home. So if I needed to walk home, I could probably walk home very easily, probably in about mm, an hour. Uh, and that's just, that's just walking, um, you know, with, with my work clothes on, not changing shoes, nothing like that. Uh, it might be even faster than that. I just work about ten minute a ten minute drive from home, and so um, my bag or whatever I would take with me, my kit would be so much different if I was trying to get back home compared to somebody who lived an hour away driving, uh, and you know they had to they had to try to hike it back home, and it would take several hours, maybe all day, 
uh, to get back home or somebody who was like a traveling salesman, you know, they traveled for a living and then, you know, their kit would look totally, totally different. So when you're thinking about a bug out bag, you know, maybe you're up north. Definitely that's going to determine what kind of bag you have compared to somebody down south here uh, where I live in Houston, where, I mean, like I said yesterday, I think, uh, you know, we only had two days worth of freezing temperatures last uh, this winter. And um, so, you know, that's something something to consider there. Definitely when you're talking about a bug out bag, you're looking at... Um, you know what you can carry that's that's the most important thing but i do think mylar bag mylar blankets because of their uh versatility and you know a lot of people poo poo the mylar bags or the the space blankets i think because of their versatility how cheap they are i think that you should uh you should have one or two of them and and because the author is right um you know they fold up like in like a a pack of cards so it's easy to put a couple of them in your pack uh, who knows what you might use them for? So anyway, um, you know, if you haven't looked up space blankets before on uh, on Amazon, you know what? I'll link to a couple of them because I, I'm going to talk a little bit about another link that I have uh, that I'm going to post in the, the episode show notes. All right, let's move on. Hey, this ne- next article is actually my article. I posted it on Ed That Matters. That's my personal blog, and so uh, there I I post my own stuff. I post reviews. I get review. I get a lot of stuff. People send me stuff. They want me to do reviews. For the most part, I tell them I can't do like a real full review. I can do like a picture review. And a lot of people are good with that. Um, so I post that over there, my own articles. And sometimes when I have guest posts, people always want to send proper website guest posts. And, and I post them on Ed That Matters if, if I think they're worthy. Uh, you know, you know that, that was a, I posted it on Facebook today um, in, in a group that I belong to. Just, I keep getting a lot of crap articles and just people wanting backlinks and it's just like they send me this i'm like i i email these guys back and i i, I don't want to be rude but i'm like i can't put this up it, it's it's come on anybody who you're you're writing about hunting and then you know it's so generic you know a 13 year old could have written it who's never hunted before and so i'm like I, I don't mean to be rude but no i can't use this i mean you need to you need to go back and if you're like a hunting expert you need to be providing something better than this right so I try not to just put crap up there, but anyway, uh, you know, I get a lot of those posts um, or a lot of those articles, but this one is mine. Uh, I wrote it off of an article that I read, uh, a real life survival story. So uh, let's go ahead and get into this before I just keep yapping. <laughs> All right. Uh, it can happen just like this again from edthatmatters.com. Uh, you can be placed in a real world survival situation in a flash, and that's why we prep. I've been talking about gardening on the podcast, but I also know that many of my listeners are up north and are still dealing with cold and snow. The cold and snow can be very unforgiving. An 85-year-old grandmother found that, art, found that out just recently when she took a wrong turn and found herself stranded in her car on an old back road for five days. Quote, Ruby Stein was on her way back home to Akron after visiting family on March 21st when she took a wrong turn near Gypsum, 50 miles west of Denver, and got stuck in mud and snow. Uh, quote, quote within this quote, I was keeping myself very, very calm, she told the Denver Post. I knew I either had to or it was over with. I have too many great-grandkids and grandkids. I didn't want it to be over with. And that source is from the Daily Mail. I do have a video there uh, that I linked to and uh, a little interview with uh, a short video uh, interview with uh, the woman who was stuck, Ruby Stein, she, this 85-year-old grandmother. 
right, or in great-grandmother. All right, continuing on. This little old grandmother found herself in a survival situation she wasn't really prepared for. The good news is that she made it through. There are a few lessons we can learn from Ruby Stein's real-life survival story. Ruby mentioned that she had great-grandkids and grandkids. She didn't want it to be over. She still had memories to make and kids to love. Many people underestimate having a purpose to live for. When you have a purpose, even if it is perceived purpose, you will push through and make an extra effort to not give up. This is one common denominator in many survival stories. Ruby made an extra effort to not panic. Panicking never does any good. It causes people to make bad decisions and potentially get themselves killed. What if Ruby started to panic and started walking down the mountain? The cold and snow would have killed her and her granddaughter would be burying her instead of celebrating with her today. It's important to learn, notice I said learn, to react in a calm manner during serious situations. Learn breathing exercises, learning breathing exercises can help. Stopping and sitting for 10 minutes before making a decision can help. Having skills and knowledge can help to take the fear and panic out of the equation too. Ruby was resourceful. She used safety pins to make a blanket for herself. She was so layered when rescuers showed up that they thought the car was abandoned. It took a while to get it to get to her. Ruby was lucky to have clothes for donation in her car. Her situation could have ended a lot differently if she wouldn't have had all the extra clothes with her. But nevertheless, she did have the clothes and she used them to stay warm. Ruby also used snow to stay hydrated. Many survival articles will tell you not to eat snow because it causes your body to lose its heat and work overtime as your body heat is used to melt the snow in your mouth. But we don't know if Ruby allowed the snow to melt in the car or not. Either way, she was probably pretty warm because of all the layers of clothes in her back seat. In this situation, a little preparedness would have gone a long way. Some bottled water, granola bars, or even day checks, a blanket and a little heater made from a toilet paper roll, a tin can soaked with alcohol, or even a few candles for heat would have been very helpful. Here is a cheap heater that can be made and stored in your car using two tin cans, dirt, cotton balls, and alcohol. Neat little video there. Uh, you can check, check that out. Uh, definitely, if you're up north uh, and it's during wintertime, you should probably make yourself one of these little heaters and have it ready to go uh, in your car. All right, um, and it's small enough to where you can put it in a uh, like a coffee can, um, a coffee can, a bigger coffee can. You can put this can inside of that coffee can, and then have the materials ready to go. All right, some takeaways. One thing those of us who are prepared can do to help our loved ones who are not prepared is to ask them what if questions. For example, Grandma, what would you do if your car got stranded in a snowstorm? Or son, what would you do if your vehicle broke down in the middle of the desert in the middle of summer? Asking questions like these aren't necessarily prepper or survival questions. They are questions from one loved one to another. They are questions that show you care and are concerned, and hopefully they would get the other person to think, think through that specific scenario. One last thing you can do is to provide a small survival kit for loved ones to place in their vehicle. Of course, any kit needs to be tailored to their climate and season, but a small kit like the one I mentioned above wouldn't take up any room. We never know when we are going to be in a survival situation. We never know when our loved ones are going to be in a survival situation. Things can turn in a flash. That's why we prep. So anyway, um, i got some articles there. Um, 
definitely, you know, someone was saying, or not some articles, some comments there, sorry. Uh, somebody was saying, you know, they should have took the keys away from that grandmother. And, and I agree, but it's hard, you know. Uh, my parents eventually had to take the keys away from my grandfather. I think he was like 89 years old. And, uh, you know, he was he was getting older, and he was the only one that drove. My grandmother didn't drive. And, um, uh, y- you know, he was... He was out there and just his reflexes just weren't as fast as they were. And he was a good driver, never had really any accidents. But as he was getting older, he had a little uh, fender bender and that was it. That was enough to get, you know, my parents finally say, look, hey, you need to, you're, you know, if you had a worst accident, you'd have somebody who uh, who's going to sue you and you'd lose all your, your life savings, you know, everything that you're living for that you have to live on right now. And, uh, you know, that kind of got my grandfather to really think, too. But they did take the car away from him, basically. But that also meant the extra added responsibility on my parents to go and to be there for him, you know, to take them to the groceries, to take them out to eat, to be there whenever they needed to go to the doctor. And, 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 you know, whatever they needed, they were there. And so, um, you know, that's hard to do. And older people don't want to give up their independence. I, I know it's like it's easy for us to say, you know, hey, they shouldn't be driving. But, man, there are so many factors there, and that's probably what happened. When you look at the video of this woman, Ruby Stein, she doesn't look like she's having trouble getting on, getting around. She just made a wrong turn and, and wound up getting stuck. So, um, you know, uh, again, I think that's, you know, asking some, some basic questions. Hey, what would you do if you were to do this? Then putting together a little, you know, a little uh, survival pack or whatever in uh, a little backpack. You know, going to uh, a resale shop, going to like a Goodwill or something like that, they always have backpacks for like so cheap. They have good backpacks that you can buy for, you know, a, you know, a decent amount, but they have those cheap ones you can buy for one, two, three dollars and get, get one of those, clean it up a little bit and then throw some, some things in there that would help. Uh, you know, in a survival situation and just tell your family member, hey, look, I'm giving you this, you know, it's out of love. I just, I'm just want to, will you put it out of the way somewhere under a seat in your trunk somewhere there was kind of out of the way, but if you need it, it's there. And so that's one of the, the neat things that you could do to really help someone out. That would have really helped uh, Ruby out a lot here, I think, although she survived. So that's, that's good news. All right, going on to our last article of the day. Uh, this comes to to us from prepblog.com, and the the article is entitled "What Qualifies as a Tiatwaki Event." All right, again, so uh, prepblog.com. Let's go ahead and read this one. The prepper term Tiatwaki stands for the end of the world as we know it, and so it does not refer to the literal end of the world, nor to any religious version of the apocalypse. It is instead any event that changes our lives very substantially for the worse and for a long time. As you can tell from the definition, many disasters for which preppers wisely prepare still do not qualify as Tiatwaki events. Some examples of non-Tiatwaki events, a major hurricane, a power outage, a major snowstorm, an earthquake, an economic downturn, a series of nationwide protests that turn violent, All of these events and many others are short-term or they do not change society and our day-to-day lives to a great extent and for a long time. An economic downturn is not Tiatwaki, but a total economic collapse certainly would qualify. If money is no longer worth anything or if we cannot buy the goods and services we need, this would qualify as Tiatwaki. Our society is, for better or worse, highly commercialized. Without a functioning economy, it's the end of the world as we know it. 
Moreover, such a total collapse of the economy could not be fixed in the short term. But what about a partial economic collapse? Well, it depends on how bad the situation may be. A recession is not Tiatwaki, but any economic disruption that prevents people from buying basic necessities, especially food, medicine, and shelter, is definitely a Tiatwaki event. So let me just add a little bit here. I think if we were really in a big you know, economic downturn, um, the, the financial aspect of it, the economic as, as, aspect of it, that's, that's one part of it, but you're going to, that's going to quickly escalate into so many other things. Um, you know, so th- that economic collapse type thing, it's not like we're okay just looking around like, okay, let's go ahead and start bartering. Let's, let's use silver. Let's use other things that we can use. That's going to devolve very, very quickly into other things. People uh, stealing, people, you know, crime going up. And, and uh, so anyway, it's something to consider there. All right, moving on. Can a storm qualify as a Tiatwaki? Not any storm in recent memory. Even a major hurricane is a fairly local event. And the same would be true for most natural disasters. The only natural disaster that I can think of which might qualify would be some type of mega tsunami or maybe a comet striking the earth, but those type of events are very rare. And if a comet struck the earth, we, that, would be, that would be a real, uh, yeah, real serious Tiatwaki, almost uh, apocalyptic uh, level event there. All right, what about war? World War II was certainly a devastating and terrible event. Many lives were lost. Many other lives were changed forever. Perhaps a major war could be called Tiatwaki, but it depends on the war. A nuclear war would qualify as a Tiatwaki event. Alternately, if an EMP device were detonated, destroying electrical equipment over a vast area, most of the U.S., that would be a Tiatwaki. Modern society is highly reliant on electronics for communication, travel, news, entertainment, and commerce. The nation would be thrown back to the 1800s without electronics. And all it would take is one rogue nation with a nuclear missile that can reach the U.S. There is a theory that an immense solar flare could have the same effect as an EMP device. But there have been very many solar flares and no such disaster has materialized. So I remain skeptical. On the other hand, a disease pandemic like the Spanish flu of the late 1910s is a real possibility. Bacteria are building up resistance to all of our antibiotics and research into new antibiotics is proceeding at a slow pace. As for viruses, we still do not have much in the way of treatments. Vaccines take months to produce when a new strain of the flu emerges, and it would take even longer to produce a vaccine to a new disease. A major pandemic could definitely be Tiatwaki. Severe civil unrest could tear apart the fabric of society, making commerce and travel very difficult. If commerce fails due to any type of severe event, then people can get, can't get the food and other necessities of life, and that would be Tiatwaki. Well, it turns out that there are at least several different types of events that could bring the end of the world as we know it. Life would go on for most people. It's not the end of the world, just a time for major adjustments in how we live. And I think that if we, you know, we're, this is a, a short article looking at a big situation here. I think uh, the, the big point here for any of us who are preparing is to be able to think critically and to have options and skills and knowledge to be able to go from uh, where we are to, you know, to moving to the, to the next situation, to be able to ad- adjust and adapt be flexible. I think that's uh, that's the important thing there. So um, 
you know, what what would one thing I guess is good to reflect on is what would be Teotihuacan for you? Um, definitely, you know, we prepare for those. You know, um, for some people, Teotihuacan. I know they didn't cover this. Could be the death of a of a spouse. You know, that might be the end of the world. The world, your world, is as you know it. Uh, think, you know, things. If you look at the definition, th- things wouldn't ever go back to the way they were for you. Um, especially if you were in a you know very loving, close you know relationship, marriage, and um, you know <clears throat> that you know your whole your whole world was tied into each other. That that definitely would qualify. So, you know, what would be Teotihuacan for you? Have you ever thought about that? Um, what were what are some things that you don't ever want to? Um, and it's, it's a nice little uh, process, just kind of a thinking, reflection thing to go through. What kinds of things would you miss? What kinds of things would you want to have if it was the end of the world as we know it? Um, you know, what kinds of things would you not want to be without? And maybe those are some things that you start to work towards and, and, and try to provide those things into your preps and have those things prepared uh, just in case something like this was to happen. Um, so, you know, there you go. At any time our world can end, you know, that's a um, you know, pretty negative view, I guess, uh, pessimistic view. But really, at any time, any major thing could happen. And, you know, we go on with life um, and understanding that you know you can walk out of your door and and not come back you know later later that day so um just things to think about you know what what would be your teotihuacan event hey yesterday i talked about an article that i remembered um posting on prepper website about a guy who went out into the woods and and he spent some time out there and he used uh he made a fish basket and um you know, after after talking about that, I got. I mean, I, I stayed up so late last night trying to find this article, and I finally did. Uh, all the the titles that I thought it might have been, uh, it wasn't. But I did post it on uh, episode 36, and so it it's there. If you want to go check it out, it's a three parter. And I think uh, let me see. I just want to make sure it's from. It was from Sigma Three Survival. I haven't seen too much of them uh, recently. Maybe I'm just missing them. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, they've had some really good stuff before. Yeah, it was from Sigma 3 Survival School. And the title of the the article is Alone in the Wilderness, and it's a three-parter. And uh, it's a very, very interesting read. I remember when I, uh, when I posted it. I mean, my dad and I even uh, talked about it for a little bit. Um, because it was just, you know, this guy going out there and he's just pretty much on his own, uh, you know, living out there and, and, uh, in, in the wilderness. So definitely he, see, I'm just looking at this really quick, lived two years in the wilderness living off the land. And so really good article. Again, I linked to that on episode 36, uh, of, um, the prepper website podcast. So you want to go check that out, uh, check that out today if, or when you get a chance this week. All right. Hey, also, I want to invite you to, I did mention this last week, I want to invite you to the Facebook, the new Facebook group uh, that, I've, that I've started on, uh, on Facebook. It's, it's called, um, well, actually, you can get to it by going to amoreselfreliantlife.com. It's just all one word. I have a link on the Prepper Website podcast. I don't have a lot there. Uh, I'm really, you know, trying to, you know, people are coming and people are adding other people and things like that and throwing some stuff out there. Um, but again, my goal, I've, I've started to shift so much from the, the prepping and just being prepared to starting to live a more self-reliant life. 
and uh, what what does that mean? What does that look like? Starting to try to put processes and systems and procedures in place so that you know if if there's hiccups that we don't miss a beat. So we're not so reliant on all the other things out there in life, but we're a little bit we take more responsibility for our lives and we are um, you know we take more responsibility and we put things in place so that if there is a hiccup we don't feel it as much, right? So uh, I'm going to, you know, throw that invitation out there again. I'm going to continue to throw it out there, inviting you to that Facebook group. And uh, we're still, I'm still kind of processing it. And some people are throwing some things out there, um, you know, not too much yet. But we, uh, some people are being added to it. But uh, just come be a part of that if you'd like. You know, you don't have to. So I know there's a lot of people who don't like social media. But I think it's very powerful when people start sharing ideas and, and thoughts and, and we learn from each other. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, episode 37 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, if you get a chance, come by the website and drop me a line in the comment section or hit me up on Facebook, uh, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, definitely on that Facebook group, I'm going to be monitoring that and hanging out there a lot more than I do probably any other place. But uh, definitely you know, come to that Facebook group and, and drop me a line there. I'd love to be able to talk with you all and interact and, and uh, you know, just see how people are doing out there. So, uh, you know, don't hesitate to, uh, to connect. I just, I love hearing from people and, and, uh, what you think of the podcast, but then also, you know, how you're doing in preparedness. And I just like to know where people are and, and, uh, just getting to know you just a little bit more. All right. So, uh, with that, let me end, let me end with this, right? I want, I want to start using this, this line because I think, um, this, again, this is where I'm headed and this is where I'm going. Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.